there is kindness in this story, but there's also the opposite. <laughs> there's also a kind of, you know, cruelty that manifests in a tiny way at the end, but is, is infinitely more complicated than that suggests. This is The Lonely Voice from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. Peter Orner and I are discussing Lonesome Road, a story by the author who started it all for The Lonely Voices, Gina Berriolt. If Berriolt's stories are not so well known to most, this one might never have registered if not for the unapologetic ardor that her fans, Peter Orner and I among them, feel for her. Once you hear about her, once you read her stories, I think you'll understand. The Lonesome Road of the title remains a little enigmatic once you read the story because that's the nature of things when a relationship ends and happenstance or something like it brings you face to face with a person you used to know, used to love. Things change. Relationships end. We move on. We move on along a road made lonesome by the realization that we are utterly alone in trying to figure out what it was all about, what it meant, what it can still mean a dozen years later. Here now, Peter Orner and I discuss Lonesome Road by Gina Berriolt. Peter sets the stage for us first. Lonesome Road. Up on the sidewalk, glancing down through the high wire fence at the playground and the mothers on the benches, he recognized her by the way she bowed her head over her knitting as she used to bow it over her radical magazines, engrossed and eager to do somebody some good with what was in the print. He went down the concrete ramp and across the tan bark and spoke to her over the children in the sandbox. She lifted her basket from the bench to the ground hastily to forestall, he knew, any embarrassment there might be for them in the curious stares and glances of the other women because he was a black man approaching a white woman and he went around the satin box and sat down where the basket had been. You haven't changed much, he said. Don't tell me that, she laughed. You've got kids you're watching, he asked, searching among the ones in the sand for one to resemble her. A little girl with light hair was watching them. She turned away with solemn shyness when her mother introduced her and resumed her digging. What was it this time, Peter, for this story? What was it? What was the pull of the story for you? I don't know. You know, I think we I think I've mentioned this quote before in another episode where we talked about wealthy and um where are you, my love? What's the title of that story? I can't believe oh, it. Um, uh, no place for you, my love. <laughs> no place for you, my love. It's the most <laughs> beautiful title. How could I forget? But uh, Russell Banks, the newly departed uh, Russell Banks great writer, great story writer, said something about that story that always kind of bugged me. And what what Banks said was you had to be 40 to read that story. And I thought, that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like any story, it doesn't matter. You know, you get to anybody if they're a close reader. However, I would say that I wonder if this applies, if, if that Russell Banks comment applies to this story, that you got to be 40 or more. To read this and have it be pretty devastating. I mean, I think what was it, what it was about for me was encountering encountering that person, whoever that person is, after a, you know so many years have passed. Both both parties have kids; they've moved on, and then suddenly is that former life. And you know, it's a story 
I suppose it's been written thousands, millions of times, maybe. But uh, I think she does it as well as I've seen it. That encountering of a of a of somebody who um, once was everything to you. Yeah, twelve years have passed, and they had been together for one year, and it sounds like it was like this torrid, very intense time for the two of them when they were younger. Yes. But th this idea about 40 is interesting to me. I'll have to think about that a, a little bit. But Well, I mean, I, I didn't think it was possible for that to be true. But I, I, I think, in, I wonder in this one, there's just something about, I don't know, the, the, the kind of, it's like still a competition, still like who's got the better of the other. There's something so honest about the, you know, uh, how, you know, we think in, in age, we become more wise and maybe kinder. And, and there is, there is kindness in this story, but there's also the opposite. <laughs> there's also a kind of, you know, cruelty that manifests in a tiny way at the end, but is, is infinitely more complicated than that suggests. Yeah, I think there's something to that because the, the intensity of, especially from his side, from his perspective, the intensity of his love for her was so intense that when he knows she's breaking it off, you know, he has such an extreme reaction. 12 years on, he's quite a different person, although I feel like a lot of what occurred between them still bothers him, still maybe even influences him in some interesting ways. That is a hard thing to say to somebody who's young and who's in the middle of some kind of intense relationship. I, I can see that. You know, to say to some to somebody, you're really going to get over it, and you're going to start your own life, and and not it, you will not it will not have anything to do with this person. I promise. And yet, and yet, the kind of the, what this story tells us is you don't get over it. Yeah. And, some, <laughs> and I I don't believe the comment. You know, I just to disagree with myself and Banks. I I mean, I didn't agree with it before. I just thought in this story, I was like, well, maybe he's maybe there's something to that, you know, because <laughs> yeah, it, it, this story is about holding on to things as much as it is um, moving on, don't you think? Yeah. And you know what complicates it? And I don't want to get too ahead of things, but, you know, when we talked about William Maxwell's story with reference to an incident at a bridge about this, the bullying, this cruel act, it was not just about bullying. It was about the fact that Max Rabinowitz is Jewish. With this story, I feel like, you know, it's not just about a relationship that broke up and they went their separate ways. Somewhere in here, it is also about the fact that he is Black and she is white. Yeah. Coupled with the fact of of two people having once been in love and not anymore, you know, you combine all this in, in this kind of swirl that Burial captures, and it, it, it ends up being an incredibly poignant piece of work just in terms of the way that it captures the complication of the time when they were together, where race was obviously an element of their relationship that they could not either couldn't get past or somehow it's hard to say, you know, but I mean, the breakup scene, it definitely comes roaring into it. There's something so wrenching about the fact that, that even, even when he approaches her later on, 12 years later, she has to remove that basket off the bench in order to make clear that you know this is not a, this is not a bad encounter it's just it's it's devastating so as you read in that section he just happens upon this space and sees her sitting there and approaches her in that split second she does have that sense of removing the basket because 
people will wonder why who's why is this man approaching her and he happens to be black right even though it's te- it's 12 years later they just fall into that kind of small talk burial is wonderful on that they start talking about you know raising kids and he says i have a boy too she said looking over the playground to the baseball formation he's older he's eight it was as if she had even closer allies now allies she herself had created to reject him with some other man's children this is intense right i mean you know that that like he's still reliving their relationship when he was the suggestion is he was deeply in love with her and it's hard it's unclear what her position was exactly there's that's a little army he said i got a little army too i got three in mine two girls and a boy the other day the boy climbed up to the medicine cabinet and swallowed the iron tablets and had to go to the hospital to get pumped out they're out of their minds he said laughing with her there's something about like there's like the subtext of him thinking about their relationship we don't get a, a point of view from her and yet they are having this moment. They are they are laughing together. And that's what I think she does so beautifully here is, you know, we do, you go on with the conversation and part of it really is that they are truly laughing together about how weird it is to have kids. And I, I've been in these situations so many times when you're having a conversation in the present and your mind is in the past. That's what this story does so beautifully for me. And the word choice of allies and armies is so that's- interesting. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I was th- I was trying to figure out before the episode when she wrote this. I believe it's from an early story. I believe it's from the 60s. This story dates back to the 70s or the 70s. I don't think it's a new one from Women in Their Beds. I think it was in The Mistress and other stories. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we can confirm that. <laughs> Let's get our researcher on that. Uh, <laughs> and I don't, th- I, I don't think I even have an original of The Mistress, which I would love. Um, cause I know she rewrote these stories too. Uh, but I think this, you know, this story is of its time and place and yet completely for me, it, it, timeless. Did you feel that way? Like, why isn't it dated? I guess is my question. Why doesn't this feel dated? In the same way that the Maxwell story is for all time. The opening is so we sort of are in this space, we see you know, everything that he ha- that he's thinking about just to be able to approach her. The first thing that we learn is this this idea of they each have gone on to have children, but it's the next paragraph that establishes so much about what went on in their past, where she writes, as the laughing waned, she pushed back her bangs, a gesture he remembered that hid her face for a second. Her hair had darkened, and her eyes, glancing at him from under her hand with a flash of shyness, seemed less blue, faded to the color of a dim sky. He knew that she saw him as better looking than he'd been 12 years ago. Then he'd had a skinny, agitated look. Now at least he was a little heavier, a lot calmer. His expensive suit the reward and requisite of a publicity man for a big insurance company. If one of them was at a disadvantage, it was she. She was nobody to be possessed by anymore, to be saved by, to beg from. Up on the sidewalk, he had seen that she was less than she had been, and it was this lessening that had enabled him to approach her. And there the story just explodes. 
last night I was looking, trying to find where the story dated from. And I, I saw some reviews of her work over the years, um, especially the early ones when her, when her first books came out. And I, I, I was just struck by just how people just weren't, weren't getting it. They didn't understand what they were reading. Sorry. I read the same review last night. Was <laughs> it the one that said something about, you know, Yes, the human condition is fragile, but if you just get story after story after story where it's so low and it's so sad, like we're we're done. We don't want to. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, it's just like you kind of want to think like, who are you? Like, what 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 earth do you live on? Anyway, but that's not the. I mean, it was something about when you said, you know, just when the line, you know. The first sentence of that paragraph is the laughing wane. She pushed back her bangs, a gesture. He remembered that hit her face for a second. It's just, it's just truly, you know, I, we're both kind of, I, I, we may be the only two burial fanatics. I know that's not true. There are more. I've talked to them and you have too, but you know, we're not talking, we're not talking more than 10, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I, I, people will probably object to that, but you know we're, we've done our best here. Um, but there's something uh, there's something about her sentences that, that just are, are so unique to me. Anyway, I'm getting yes. off the subject. Maybe no. so, yeah, let's get deeper into the. Okay, the well, yeah. the very next. So now we know. I mean, I think even that line you just read is everything about that whole paragraph. But then there's this incredible tension with the very next bit where there's this thing about that's what they'll do scare the wits out of you she said and sighed laughing i guess every joy brings a burden along with it you don't realize that so much until you've got kids that's true that's true he said disparaging with a smile her ready wisdom in the past she had given out her left-wing maxims but this had the sound of religion or domesticity you can reverse it too, he said, mocking her homily, its simpleness, like every burden brings its joy. And just like, oh no, things are very tense at this point. Again, it's like when you're having a conversation, a normal, small talky conversation with somebody who you once had a lot different conversations with, you know, and so it's mm -hmm. there. Like all that other, that all their, 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 their past is, is, is within that. And again, it's, it's a, this is not a, an easy thing to, to do. And, you know, it, he is annoyed with her once again, but at the same time, I think, even though it's not in written in the sentences themselves has approached her, has sat down there, you know, and, and maybe it's like, look, I have, look how well I've done, you know, compared to you. I think that, that that's part of it, but I also feel like there's a more that, that, that the connection they had still exists for better or for worse. And, and here it is going to play out in this park for a few minutes and then he's going to walk away. And that to me, um, you know, that the burial knew that that was a story is just, again, a testament. Um, he's so annoyed with her. Yeah. But also, I think I don't read it completely annoyed. I read it as, as, as you know, a kind of, and I think that, you know, when it turned, when we, when we hear what happened at the end of their time together, I feel like I can't not read that into the 
the earlier scenes in the story that you know that there's something about the way he was impacted by her that's still very much there even though he is clearly taking a you know i am not only was i better then but i'm better now yeah and they do mention the word burden so many times in this section that's good he said drolly that's good and are you still on the right track about how to get rid of burdens though the way i heard it that track collapsed she was not cornered he saw what we learned from that she said is there are more answers than one and it's just like this <laughs> this uh strange um back and forth you know this parry and dodge between the two of them because there's so much there's so much history there from that intense year that they spent together yeah, and the subtext is that you know it's the 60s when i think their relationship was taking place like I said, I think the story came out in the 70s, but I think this, the, it refers to a time in the 60s, civil rights. And she is, how do you say it? Uh, a cliche spouting lefty. <laughs> like, yes, right? right. I mean, and, you know, and and not, I don't, I'm not questioning her beliefs, but, you know, I think she believed in all kinds of things that, including bringing people together as they <laughs> should be brought together. But I think there's a certain judgment upon her in this story that is harsh is mm-hmm. is harsh and um and probably deservedly so but it's all playing out in this incredibly calm laughing small talky way yeah i mean she even says i still use the same old cliche words don't i right. <laughs> <laughs> right. but and then there's that line where he says she's all melted down to a spoonful she's all melted down to a spoonful of owl shit he thought he had refused her politics in that year he had known her he had argued with her for hours but now he found himself contemptuous of her for getting melted down in the heat of lost battles i mean somebody watching this watching these these two have this conversation (laughs) probably would not have gotten this vibe you know but when when he says they're watching very carefully sorry yeah when he says the men she had introduced him to those men who had cornered him with their barrage of knowledge until he felt like a criminal in his ignorance were they all melted down so he he's really carrying a lot of of stuff from the past not just her but the people that she introduced him to that made him feel ignorant or like he wasn't as smart as they were that he wasn't as involved in their causes and he was made to feel inferior and he's still carrying that around even though now he feels like he has the upper hand for a number of reasons i mean he seems like he's successful he thinks he looks better and he thinks she looks worse right and she's aged and etc uh from his point of view um, so that, that part's very interesting to me is that, that he's carrying around not just how she made him feel, but how these all these other people from their from her circle made him feel. And, and you know, and Burial could have written a whole novel from about this. And, you know, but we're left to sort of figure out in four pages, we can set this context pretty well. You know, yeah. she's, you know, she's involved in, in politics. Um and and he is he is attracted to her and she brings him into her circle and people talk down to him 
you know, and he's still carrying that, which of course you would. It's, you know, it's a love story, but it's also, as you said, it, the racial politics and the politics of the day were intrinsic to, to their connection. And, you know, that's part, of, again, part of the, I, I read this more sadly than polemically. At the end of the day, for me, this is about two stories, uh, two people who once had something who, who encounter each other and what has happened between them isn't gone. And, and, and that to me, you know, is, is so it's, it's, it's moving. And the whole rest of the story is really about that because then he remembers she had called it quits and he had gone to hell and he had begged her to come back one time more. She had come up with a hamburger in a paper bag, trying to make it all seem that all he required was food in his stomach. So no more could be asked of her. He had been drinking for three days and he was sick. Vomit was on his shirt and sour whiskey on his breath. He had wanted to reveal himself to her in all his obnoxious misery. And he had wanted her to love him in spite of all and because of all. The rest of this, you're right. I mean, it really becomes about how much he loved her. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. And and how and almost how kind of almost lame he thinks of himself in a way <laughs> for having for having begged right i mean this is it's that's you know begging is humiliating and and she didn't stay and it you know the the scene that you read returns a page later in the last page he remembered the time just before the end when lying in his bed she had covered herself with blankets because she had a question to ask and she wanted to disappear before she asked it they had got honest with each other again maybe because he had begged her again to marry him. I have to ask you, she had said, because how can we know each other if I don't ask you? And she had asked him if he loved her because she was white. Simpering up his face to imitate her, he had hurled newspapers and clothes around the room until she got out of bed and got dressed, frightened by his tormenting mimicry of her question and by his answer, that if there had to be truth to cement the damn thing together then the truth was that he hated her she was too goddamn much trouble he watched her now taking the child by the hand leading her away from the melee and with the hem of her skirt wiping away wet sand from the crying mouth and knew now watching her that more was in that question she had asked him that time more than the desire to be rid of him more than the desire to come at last to the core of their love and find no core. Now, <laughs> I spent a lot of time thinking about that paragraph, wondering what your take is on it. Well, it's my my favorite part of the story, the part where she had covered herself with the blankets because she had a question to ask. I just think that's so, I don't know. <laughs> No, it's just, I mean, it, it, in in other hands, imagine. Imagine, imagine how this play, scene would have played out. <laughs> you know, it's like she knows that it's not, you know, the question is as incendiary and as, as, as attention-getting as it is. It's the blankets. <laughs> anyway. You know, this is almost a, a whole page after, not quite, half a page after this part where he's just decided that in among the darkening hairs were gray ones, no polish on her nails, socks instead of nylons, and old tennis shoes. He looked at her closely and thought, was it just the way some 
women age fast? Or was it that her substance was gone, her certainty gone, that certainty that in the past had infuriated him and he had attacked by attack, attacking her politics, that certainty, that control over her own life, over all of her choices of acceptance and rejection, that certainty she herself would have denied, but that he had been as sure about as he'd been about her heart beating in her breast. This idea of conflating her looks to her conviction or something is so interesting to me. It's so like this guy is is really just trying to, to get over this whole thing. Yeah, and, he's trying to justify. Yeah. Right? I mean, you could read this so many ways. Yeah. He's a misogynist. I mean, you know, it, clearly. And yet I also think it's 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 very human in a way to, to try and talk yourself out of something you want. I mean, this is somebody you love. He wanted to marry. And and then she asks this question that, you know, that scene could have played out so many different ways. Yeah. And 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 I think, you know, some ways I think she was asking for a different answer. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Something like that's got nothing to do with it. But but instead, <laughs> you know, he's pissed off, which I can totally understand too. Why would you why would you even question me like that? That's what sets him off, I think. It's yeah. like, how could you ask me that? You know, instead of, uh, you know, saying I get the question, even though it's just, a, you know, it's when people just miss. And and when does that not happen? You know, and and and, and watching Burial handle it yeah. is, is, you know, I know we, I mean, we're so, we're such, I, I, maybe we're not capable of being critical of her, <laughs> um, you know, because... In some ways, when I first read the question, I'm like, oh, no, did you have to make it so explicit? But that's the character. She makes things explicit. This woman, she that's no, she's not exactly when it comes to politics or race is 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 going to try and just lay something out there, I suppose. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, oh, I couldn't believe it actually worked. Dude. But look at the question. I have to ask you, because how can we know each other if I don't ask you? And she asks him, do you love me because I'm white? That idea of certainty that he was talking about before is, I feel like, all was always an issue. Like maybe she was a, a bit of a dilettante. I don't know. Was she into these these politics, was she not? What was she really standing up for? And this idea of not even being certain about his love for her, this thing about certainty for me that he brings up a couple paragraphs above it and conflates with her appearance. I don't know. There's something there for me about her asking that question and showing that she doubts, in effect, she doubts him and who he is. Yeah, it's, I think it's rough. I, I also think that, you know, these are two very flawed people. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I, and I do think that we have to take into account the not to be all crafty, writer crafty, which is the worst thing you can possibly be in my mind. But, you know, it is from the point of view of him. And therefore, you know, we we get all his his um, his sorrow and shame and rage. I think 
that that's why the last lines are so deadly, but also, you know, I, I, the last line of her picking up the kid's hand and waving it, which is such a beautifully, I can see it. Hmm. And then him kind of pretending to not have seen it, which, you know, isn't the cruelest thing. It's just, he just can't take it in a way. I take back what I said. It's not cruel necessarily. It's, it's just human, you know, to be like, you know what? I'm not going to wave cutely back. I'm going to head on my way. And I don't know. It's just, it's, I think it does honor to the, their relationship by not pretending that it was something it wasn't. But I also clearly see that what they had was more than he's willing to acknowledge now. That's what I think. Never a dull moment, she said, sitting down on the bench laughing, her short hair falling across her cheek as she bent to the basket to find something to appease the child who sat on the other side of her. Oh, God, never, he agreed. For a few more minutes, he sat with her, leaning forward to say a few words to the child and leaning back to laugh with the mother. When he stood up, she lifted her hand to shade her face from the sun, smiling up at him. She was relieved, he knew, to see him go. He walked briskly with the step of good health up the concrete ramp and on the sidewalk again as he leaned against the fence to pick a scratchy piece of tan bark off his sock. He saw that she was lifting the girl's hand and waving it to him, but he pretended not to see them. He could not bring himself to wave back at them because his pity for her, the pity that he had failed to experience in the time of his love, forbade him small and amiable signals. Gina Berriolt is the author of Lonesome Road. It can be found in the collection Women in Their Beds, published by Counterpoint, with an introduction by Peter Orner. Peter Orner is the author of several books, including the story collection Maggie Brown and Others. His essay collection, Still No Word From You, Notes in the Margin, was a finalist for the 2023 Pan America Penn Diamondstein Spielvogel Award for the Art of the Essay. He holds the professorship in English and Creative Writing and is the Director of Creative Writing at Dartmouth College. This has been The Lonely Voice with Peter Orner from Texas Public Radio. If you have a question or comment or story suggestion, send me an email at yvette at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed the theme music for The Lonely Voice. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. Remember that you can now subscribe to The Lonely Voice from Texas Public Radio wherever you find the best podcasts. And thanks for listening.